Now, today is a great day uh, for you to be here, especially if you're new, and maybe especially um, if you're here and you're not a Christian. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 that we should expect non-Christians when we gather to worship. And so we're actually really excited at New Life that there are non-Christians who join us on a regular basis, either via live stream or, or right here in person. And so just want to say, like, if that's you this morning, I want you to know that we, we warmly uh, welcome you. And uh, I do sincerely think that today is a good time for you to be here because I think today um, you're going to get a really good flavor of uh, why it is that we believe what we do about this Jesus guy and why we think so much about him and why we have really ultimately we've staked our, our lives on him. And so if you missed last week, we are now in week two of our uh, fall series called Fight, Overcoming Conflict God's Way. Now, last week, we went all the way back to the beginning, right? So we kind of just rewound everything back to Genesis chapter three, and we looked at the bad news in order to set up the good news uh, this week. And so last week, we saw that Adam and Eve did the unthinkable. They willingly cut themselves off uh, from God. They chose sin over trusting in the God who made them, the God who breathed life into them, the God who loved them so deeply, and the consequences of that rebellion uh, were and still are to this day devastating. So if you're here last week, we talked about the fact that in the garden, in that Genesis 3 account, pain was introduced into our world for the first time. Relational conflict, so conflict between us as human beings was introduced because of sin for the first time. Death was introduced into the world for the first time. And the worst consequence of them all, Adam and Eve lost the presence of God, and they were separated from God, and conflict entered into the relationship between human beings and their creator, their father, their best friend, cut off, and they, they chose that, and we talked about that last week, and we choose that, and that is how and why everything in our world is broken now, and that's why we live in a world where people hate each other, because the color of their skin is different. That's why we live in a world now where little kids get sick, little kids get cancer and they die. This is why we live in a world now that, where we experience natural disasters where thousands of people are just wiped off the face of the planet in one split second. They're here one moment and they're gone forever the next. And we all know, whether we're Christians or whether we're not Christians, that something has gone wrong. That, that something is off, that something is not right in this world that we live in. And the Bible, as I argued last week, gives us, I think, the best explanation for the how and the why we ended up in such a mess, in such a broken, jacked up world. And before you think, yeah, Adam and Eve, man, thanks a lot, you big jerks. You're gonna just screwed everything up for us. If that's what you're thinking, just slow down because listen, the Apostle Paul tells us in the letter to the Romans that all have sinned. That we all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God, which means that you are not a victim of sin. You are not a victim of Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden. What Paul is telling us is that we are all active participants in this cosmic rebellion against God. So you, you, you've sinned. And if it were you in that garden all those years ago, you would have done exactly the same thing that Adam and Eve did. So we don't, we don't get to kind of blame shift. But here's, here's, here's the reality. Because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve 
Every human being since, minus Jesus, has been born with a sin nature. This is what scholars call original sin. And practically what that means is that we are all just kind of born, born with this bent towards rebellion. We're born with this, this sort of proclivity to choose sin instead of God, to follow our own ways instead of God's ways. And I've used this example before because I think it's probably the best example, but for those of you who have kids or have been around little kids, you know exactly what I mean. Like, I didn't have to teach my kids how to be selfish. I didn't have to teach my kids how to, how to lie. I didn't have to teach them to, like, like, I didn't have to send them to, a, like, a sin seminar so that they could learn the tricks of the trade, right? They, they came out of the womb as professional sinners, much like their mother and much like, <laughs> actually, much... Much like their father, much like their father, I'm probably more like their father. Backtrack just a little bit there. But here's the, the, bottom, the bottom line is simply that we are all born broken into a broken world now. And so we, we live in a post-Genesis 3 world, and there's nothing, as we saw last week, there's absolutely nothing that we can do in our own strength to get ourselves out of this cycle of conflict, sin, and death. And if you were here last week, you remember that we ended Genesis 3 with God removing Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, putting an angel there with a, a flaming sword, signifying now the separation and the conflict that exists now between us and our Creator. And Paul says in Colossians that we, before Christ, we were alienated from God. In Romans, he says that we were enemies of God because of our sin. In fact, this is the way he puts it. Listen to this verbiage that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter two. This will be on the screens for you as he describes kind of our post-Genesis three state as human beings. This is what he says. Remember that you were at the time before Christ is what he's talking about. At that time, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That's just an, another way of saying the family of God and strangers to the covenant of promise. Listen to this, having no hope and without God in the world. So it's this, this idea that ever since Adam and Eve kicked off a revolution of rebellion against God and they shattered peace, they shattered shalom in the garden, that we are now all born spiritually dead and separated from God, all of us. And what, it, what is broken in our world will not ever be healed by what our world tells us will heal our problems. So all of our problems will not be eradicated just by getting rid of poverty or by addressing illiteracy or by fixing the education problem or by finding better laws because what is fundamentally broken in this world is broken at the heart level. And so if you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and take that and open it up or turn it on and head for Romans chapter 5. We're going to be shifting around a lot this morning in that chapter, but I want us to start in verse 12. Romans 5 verse 12, and this is, is Paul uh, writing to the believers in, in the city of Rome. <clears throat> this is what he says. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and he's referencing Adam there. We looked at that in Genesis 3 last week. Sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This, this again, this is the idea of original sin. Since the rebellion in Genesis 3, we've all been born sinners, and we've experienced this spiritual death, and we one day will experience a physical death as well. Now, oftentimes at this point, we'll kind of get, we'll get objections because people are kind of like, man, I don't get this idea of original sin. Like, I, 
I didn't eat in the garden. Like Adam did, Eve did. Why, why do I get this, this curse of, of, of a proclivity towards sin? And I always want to tell people, yes, you have. Like every time that you tell a little white lie, every time that you choose to, to gossip about somebody, every time that you choose to get that extra scoop of bluebell ice cream when you know that you shouldn't, you know who you are. I'm one of them. Right? Every time you choose a sin over God, you eat the forbidden fruit. You are not a victim of sin. You and I are willing participants in this cosmic rebellion. We have all sinned. We are all sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And so we all inherit sin and death because of what happened in the garden, what happens every single day in our lives as we choose ourselves over God. In fact, Mark 7 and Matthew 15 record the scene where the Pharisees, and if you know anything about the New Testament, the Pharisees are like these really hyper-religious, um, really legalistic, just kind of angry people all the time about everything. And so the Pharisees see that Jesus' uh, disciples are eating a meal without washing their hands, doing like a religious ceremonial type washing, which the Jews required. And so the, the disciples of Jesus just sit down and they're, they're chowing down and the Pharisees get really ticked off about it. And so they confront Jesus about it. I mean, why, why are you letting your disciples do this? And I wanna just read this narrative to you. This will be on the screens. This is in Mark chapter seven, because I think this sets up what Paul is talking about really well in Romans five. Okay, this is what it says in Mark seven. And he, that is Jesus, called the people to him again, and he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. All I heard right there was bacon. Bacon, Jesus is pro-bacon, verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a person, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, and listen to this, this is the key to the whole deal here. Out of the heart of men come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within the heart and they defile a person. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, what is, what is messed up in our world, when we look around at all of the evil and all of the things that are jacked up in our world, that, that doesn't come into our world because of outward behavior, like eating certain foods or not eating certain foods or doing religious ceremonies or not doing religious ceremonies. What's broken in this world, Jesus is saying, is in your heart. And every sin, what Jesus said, every sin that leads to brokenness and separation from God is born in your heart way before it becomes an action in your life. And so, and so here's the first truth. Truth number one, you can write this down if you're a note taker. Number one, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That's what Jesus is saying in Mark 7 and Matthew 15. 
the heart of the problem in our world, all of the brokenness and chaos and the fallen state that we live in is as a result of what is broken in our hearts. So I'm just telling you, no matter what you think, whatever, wherever you are in your life this morning, listen, your biggest problem today is not your spouse. It's really not. Your biggest problem today is not your boss, as much as you may think that it is. Your biggest problem today is not your ex-boyfriend or your ex-girlfriend, or listen to me, or the Republicans, or the Democrats. Your biggest problem today, listen to me, is you. And see, deep down, we all know that that's true. And that's why if I told you, and I've used this example before, if I told you, hey, listen, we, we invented this technology last week, and unbeknownst to you, while you were here, we implanted this little microchip into your brain, and what that microchip was doing over the last week was recording all of your thoughts, and so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to put all your thoughts from the last week on this big screen for everybody to see. Most of you would flip out, because it doesn't matter how pretty the mask is that you wear for people, at the end of the day, we all know that something is deeply broken inside of us. And it's because of this brokenness and this rebellion that the Bible says we are now separated from God. And there is now conflict between us and our creator. Now people, in my experience, respond in one of at least three ways in an attempt to kind of fix this inner brokenness and fix this conflict that we all sense that we have with our creator. We'll go through these quickly. So kind of three key ways that I think we try to escape the brokenness or the conflict with God. Number one is so many people try to fix themselves. And so this is kind of how it goes. We kind of think, man, if I could just become a better person, if I could just clean my life up a little bit, man, if, then if I could do those things and this thing inside of me that just seems to kind of be perpetually dissatisfied in life, that thing will just go away. If I could just do more kind things for people, if I could just stop drinking so much, or if I could stop overeating so much, if I could just start working out and get that six pack that I had in college, man, if I could just get a better job so I have a little extra money in my wallet. But here, here's the deal, you can, you can get the better job, and you can, you can have more money in your wallet and you can start working out and get that six pack back. You can stop binge drinking. You can stop overeating. You can stop being a jerk to your spouse at home. And listen to me. And you'll just be an in shape, rich, sober, miserable person. No amount of self-help is ever going to fix what is broken inside of you. And yet we try desperately, don't we? And we just think to ourselves, man if, I, man, if I could just change this about myself, if I could just change that about myself, then everything would be, would be right again. And Jesus is saying to us, no. No, what, what is broken is broken in your heart, and you cannot fix your heart. But we try. We try really hard to fix ourselves, and we go nowhere. Here's, here's the second way that we typically try to escape the brokenness and conflict that we have with God and this is even a more toxic thing that we do. Not only do we try to fix ourselves, we try to get others to fix us. And, and so here, here, here's the thing. Here, here's my concern as a pastor because I see this not just in our culture. I see this seeping into the church. See, see ma many of us have bought the lie that Hollywood sells us that there's another person out there who can complete us. And so we place massive 
soul-crushing expectations on a friendship or on a boyfriend or on a girlfriend or even worse, on your husband or wife to make us happy. When, listen to me, they were never designed to complete you or make you happy. And this is why we have an epidemic of divorce in our culture. This is why some people bounce from relationship to relationship in what some call a hookup culture in America because we figure out pretty quickly that this person cannot actually complete me or make me happy, so we just assume something must be wrong with the other person. And then we move on to the next person and then the next person, and we just kind of assume, well, I guess I married the wrong person, and if I could just find the right person, then they will complete me, and then I will be happy. And I want you to listen to me, church, this morning. That is a lie. That is not true at all. No human being ever can make you happy or complete you or fix what is broken inside of you. Cheryl and I have been married for going on 16 years. We've been together for 17 years. And you need to know, I love that woman more than I love anything on this planet. She is God's good gift to me. She is God's grace to me. She is the crown jewel of my life. And yet, she will never complete me or make me ultimately happy. You wanna know why? She was never designed by her creator to do that. And I will never fully complete her or make her ultimately happy, and I certainly cannot fix what is broken inside of her any more than she can fix what is broken inside of me because we were not designed to do that for one another. And looking back, I think most of the biggest conflicts that we've had in our marriage over the years, I think I can look back, we can look back to the places where we, we kind of placed that soul crushing weight of unrealistic expectation on one another that we think they are there to serve us and make us happy and complete us. Listen, I cannot be her savior. And she cannot be my savior. Listen, listen, if you're married, don't, please don't do that to your spouse. You will devastate that relationship. Listen, nobody else can fix you. No friendship, no romance is ever going to heal your soul, ever. But we try. And we keep dipping back into the same wells of trying to fix ourselves and crushing other people in our lives as we look to them to be our savior when they can't be our functional savior. Here's the third way that we try to work our way out of the brokenness and our separation from God. I think a lot of people, especially if you grew up in the church world, we try to earn our way out. So if we, we just kind of think, man, if I, could just be, if I could just be a good enough person and maybe if I could just have more good deeds in my life than I have bad deeds in my life so that one day when I stand before God on that final day, as long as I have more good things outweighing the bad things, then surely God's gonna have to like let me in. And so if you're a religious person, typically the way that fleshes out in your life is you try to become more religious. And so you know these people, right? They're just kind of obsessed with, man, I need to go to church more and I need to pray more and I need to read the Bible more. And I'm gonna do all of these religious things in a, the hope that I can kind of fix or bridge this chasm that I feel between me and God. And so we just kind of we kind of we kind of think, well, man, I, maybe I can make God love me by doing all of these things that He's really all about. And yet we find that none of it actually works. Not trying to fix ourselves, not 
pressing into others and crushing them and not trying to earn our way out. I, I like this quote by C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. I think it's, it's helpful for us here. This quote will be on the screens. This is what Lewis says. He says, God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine, listen, to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. You cannot fix yourself, beloved. And nobody else will ever fix you either. And you cannot earn your way out or perform your way out. Listen to me, we are in deep trouble. And you say, Chris, I, I thought last week was the bad news. I thought this week was supposed to be like the good, the good news. We're, we're, we're getting there, I promise. I think it's just really important that, that we feel the, the weight of the bad news. The word gospel literally means good news. But listen, good Good news is only good when it seeps into dark spaces and destroys bad realities in our lives. It's, it's kind of like if I were to, uh, you know, just get a, a call from some random number on my, my phone one day and I, I, I pick it up and it's some random guy that I've never talked to in my life and he's like, hey, this is Dr. So-and-so, all is clear, click. Like, what a weirdo, man, I'm gonna block this number or maybe it's somebody pranking me, but... If I get the same phone call after I just battled cancer for six months, and I've been through all the treatments and radiation and chemo, and I'd just gone and had a test done, and the guy calls and says the same thing. He says, hey, Chris, this is, this is Dr. Smith, and it, it looked like you were gonna die, but I just looked at your scans, man, and I just want you to know that you're gonna live. You're not gonna die, you're gonna live. All is clear, you're gonna have a normal life expectancy, man. I would be throwing a party. Same phone call, different context. Listen, we have to understand the weight of the bad news before the good news becomes beautiful in our lives. And the bad news is we are all fallen, we are all rebels, we have all willingly cut ourselves off from God by choosing sin over him again and again. And now there is conflict between God and us. That's really bad news. In case you were wondering, really bad news. Now here comes the good news. Actually, the best news ever. So back to Romans 5, go back to Romans 5 and look up at verse 6. This is what Paul says. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now let me, let me, let me pause there and say, I think there are a lot of people, maybe some of you in the room this morning, and you don't see the gospel as good news, and you don't see Jesus as beautiful and worthy of giving your life away to. And this is why some of you hear the gospel and you yawn. Maybe even some of you who are in here and you're Christians, and, th and, this, and this is why. You don't think you're weak. You don't think that you're really that bad in comparison to whatever you're comparing yourself to. So you hear passages like this of the good news of Jesus coming on a rescue mission for you and you just kind of, you hear that and you kind of shrug your shoulders when you hear the good news that God came for the weak and the ungodly because you think, oh, okay, I, I, cool, 
I guess that's good news for me. That's really good news for my neighbor, my uncle that I know that's really a big jerk. Like that, they need this. But yeah, thanks Jesus, I guess. That's kind of cool. And what, what Jesus is, is saying, listen, is it, it doesn't matter how much good stuff or bad stuff you do. That's not what defiles you. It's your heart. It's your heart, and your heart is wicked, and it's, and it's dark, and it's broken, and the seed of sin is buried deep inside of you, and you are a slave until the moment that Jesus sets you free. And, and the problem for a lot of us is some of us have not realized yet the extent of our sin and our darkness. And so consequently, we hear the good news about Jesus, and there's no awe. And there's no amazement because we don't really think we're that bad. And it, listen, if, if that's, if that's where, where, where you're at, you just don't think you're that bad, you don't think you're that weak, let me, let me just encourage you right now as we kind of work through this to, to pray. E- even where you're at, and just ask God that he would begin to, to reveal to you how dark and how depraved and how jacked up your heart is apart from him. That by his grace, that through his mercy to you, by the working of his spirit, that this morning he would open your eyes and illuminate your mind to how disgusting and putrid your sin, not somebody else's, your sin is before a perfect and holy God. So that you could maybe for the first time stand in awe of the grace and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul continues in this thought in, in verse eight. Go, go down to verse eight, Romans five. This is what he says. But God, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners in our muck, in the disgustingness of sin, and we were loving it, we were enemies, we were alienated. While we were in that state, he says, look at this, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, and I want you to highlight that word reconciled because Paul's gonna go back to it again and again and again. It's really important. We're gonna talk about it in just a minute. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, this is how Paul frames it in Colossians chapter one on the screens for you. He says, and through him, that is Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, which is the opposite of conflict, right? What we're talking about in this series, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now listen to me, this is a huge deal. And I have come to love these passages because here's what is happening. Paul is saying that what we lost in the garden through Adam, Jesus is now restoring in us. That the separation that we experienced from God, the conflict that we had with God, living as enemies, alienated from God, separated from our Father, being cut off from our Creator and our best friend, Jesus is now reconciling people to God the Father through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but when my relationship is broken with somebody, especially that I, that I really love, like, like my wife, Cheryl, I, I am downright miserable. I mean, I can't, can't sleep well. I mean, I can't think clearly. I've come to work and I can't focus on my task because in the back of my head, I've just got this thing planned. Like, man, my, my relationship with the most important person in my life is broken. And it eats at me and it gnaws at my heart until finally we can sit down and we are once again reconciled to each other. And Paul uses that word reconcile and it's a really important word that I want you to see. In the Greek, the word reconcile literally means to exchange. And so it's, it's this idea of like a, like a money changer and he's saying, look, this is, this is what happened. Jesus on the cross took your sin and he exchanged it for his righteousness. Like he, he took all of that away from you and in its place he gave you his righteousness, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection. All in your, we call that the great exchange. Jesus in my place, he took all of my sin. He took all of my punishment, he took all of my shame and in exchange he gave me his life and his freedom. And so because of that, I can now stand before God in Jesus, no longer alienated from God, no longer as an enemy of God. I now have perfect peace with God. Shalom has now been restored in my relationship with the Father. I have been reconciled. Which means that one day, on that final day, when I stand before God the Father, he is not going to look at me and see all of my sin and my shame. He will look at me and he will see the perfect life and the sacrifice of Jesus because I have been reconciled. My sins have been exchanged for his righteousness. And so I stand before God and you stand before God, Christian, and there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, only perfect peace, love, and acceptance. And Paul expounds on this beautiful truth by contrasting now Adam and Jesus in, in verse 15. Now it gets theological, so just, just follow, follow with me here and then we'll, um, we'll unpack it a little bit. Verse 15, this is what he says. But the free gift of, of Jesus is not like the trespass of Adam. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment will follow one trespass, brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, that is, Adam's sin in the garden, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. He's contrasting Adam and Jesus. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, Jesus, leads to the justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, here, here, here's what the Apostle Paul just did. He goes, look, both, both the actions of Adam and Jesus had sweeping implications for the entire human race. So he's like, look, uh, Adam, was, Adam, was, Adam was tempted in the garden, 
and he, he disobeyed God. Jesus was also tempted by Satan, but he obeyed God. Adam ate of the tree and brought death to all humanity. Jesus went to the tree and gave his life so that all who would believe in him could also have life. Adam was defeated by the serpent, Satan, and brought forth death to everyone. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, Satan, and brings forth life. He is saying Jesus has reversed the curse in the garden. And that is the second truth this morning, and it's a big one. Number two, Jesus has indeed reversed the curse. And he is the cure to your busted up heart. And he is the bridge to peace with God. And his blood can wash away your conflict with the Father. Everything that is broken inside of you, he can make new. And just like death came to you through one man, Adam, life has now come to you, according to Paul, through one man, Jesus, the second Adam, the better Adam. I want you to listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, for as by a man came death, that's Adam, also by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So here's the deal. The human race is now broken up primarily into two categories of people. You are either in the line of Adam, you're still living in your rebellion and you're drinking in your sin and your death upon yourself, or you are now in the line of Jesus. And you can now bask in life and forgiveness and freedom and the curse has been reversed for you. But here's, here's the deal to the whole thing. You have to choose. You gotta choose. Are you gonna be team Adam or are you gonna be team Jesus? Look at verse 20, he continues on. Paul says, now the law, he's talking about the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul is saying, listen, the law was given to us as like a, like a sort of a, a mirror. The law was given to us to, to show us that we couldn't actually keep God's law and that we needed a savior. And so the law highlights our sinfulness for us. The law highlights the condition of our heart. It shows us our weakness. It shows us how bad we are. But listen, here's the thing about the law. It cannot fix us. It is powerless to fix us. It simply is there to show us that we are already condemned. It shows us that sin isn't just something that we do, that sin is who we are to our core. And Paul wants you to know how bad you are so that you may stand in awe of the grace and the goodness of Jesus. See, your sin earned you separation from God and earned you death, but now Jesus has reversed the curse. And he now offers peace with God and eternal life in his kingdom forever. I love the way a pastor and theologian uh, Tim Keller out of Manhattan, New York, puts this. So just read this along with me. Keller says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves 
than we ever dared believe. And yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I want to finish uh, Romans 5 by going back to the beginning of Romans 5. So look up at verse 1 in Romans 5. This is what Paul says. This is really good news. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, John, uh, the apostle John, was one of Jesus' disciples, arguably his best friend. And he put it this way in John's Gospel, chapter 3. This is maybe the most famous verse in the entire Bible. But I want you to go back and listen to this with fresh ears and look at it with uh, new eyes. Listen, listen to what John says. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, I've shared this with you before. I, I like the way a pastor in Atlanta named uh, Andy Stanley summarizes this passage. And this is our final truth this morning, number three, and this is really good news. This is the way he summarizes John 3. God loved, God gave, we believe, and we receive. That is the gospel. And listen to me, this, this is how you begin to get back what we all lost in that garden so many years ago. And understand this, Jesus did all the work. The only thing you contributed to your salvation was the sin that sent Jesus to the cross. You can't earn it. You cannot fix what's broken inside of you and nobody else can fix what is broken inside of you. And understand this, while you were an enemy, Jesus died for you. While you were weak, while you were entangled in your sin, loving your sin, at the right time, God came down and he rescued you. Listen, we didn't do anything. Jesus did it all. As we close this morning and the band comes, let me just invite you to bow your heads with me for a couple of minutes as we wrap this up and we contemplate and allow some of these truths to cut and just marinate in our hearts for a minute. Now, I want you to understand that we, as human beings, we all share a common problem, right? And that is the lethal disease of sin. I, I, can't, I cannot look inside myself to fix me because I, I'm what's wrong with me. It's, it's, it's my heart. So we, we, we share that common problem, all of us, and that's the problem of sin. But we also share a common cure to the disease of sin, and the, the cure is Jesus. The second Adam, the better and truer Adam, who came when you were weak, when I was weak, at the perfect time to rescue us and to reconcile us to the Father. He is the Savior who has reversed the curse. And not only that, he's also promised to come back again one day and to right every wrong and to wipe away every tear and to make all things new. And so I just, if you're here and you're a Christian, this is, this is kind of what I want to invite you into in this time of contemplation. If you're already in Christ, you've placed your faith in him, you've pledged your allegiance the best you know how you're following him and walking with him and loving him. I want to invite you, if that's you, if you're a Christian, to spend this time as we pray in just a minute and then as we sing, just to allow your heart 
to begin to stand in awe of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So just to pause and, and empty your mind right now of what you're gonna do as soon as you leave here or whatever problems you have in your life this week or whatever's going on in your head, just allow that to kind of melt away for a minute and clear your mind and clear your heart. I want you to spend a couple of minutes, Christians, thanking God for rescuing you. When you are at your weakest, loving your sin, loving your rebellion, that he came down and he pulled you out of the darkness and he has given you a new life in him. Just let that truth, just that glorious truth seep, drip into your heart and your mind until your heart erupts in praise. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, let me just, and I try to do this because I think it's important and I think a lot of people are deceived and I wanna do it again this morning because I, I think this is important. I think there are a lot of people, there are probably some people right now here in this room and you probably know a lot about Jesus, but you don't actually know Jesus. And I want you to understand from a place of love that knowing a lot about Jesus does you no good if you don't actually know Jesus. Listen, that, that was me. That was, that was my story for a lot of years. Knowing a lot about Jesus is not the same thing as knowing him. So if you would say just, being honest with yourself and honest with God this morning, if you would say, man, Chris, I think, I think that's me. Like, I think you're talking about me and maybe I grew up in church and maybe I know some of the Sunday school answers and all that kind of stuff, but I don't actually have a dynamic, life-changing relationship with the creator of this universe through Jesus Christ. Man, I, I think I'm in Adam's line. I think my heart is still dark. And maybe for the first time, I see the wickedness and the darkness of my own heart, the depravity of my own sin, and I see that I need, I need Jesus. Like, I, I, I desperately need Jesus to, to come into my life and give me a new heart. And Chris is like, I'm, I'm not sure what would happen. Like, if I, if I died this afternoon and I were to stand before God today, like, I'm not, I'm not sure what he would say. I'm not sure where I would go for eternity. I'm not sure if God would accept me or not accept me. So listen, if, that, if that's you, if that's where you're at this morning, I, I want you just to pray in the silence of your own heart something like this. And the words aren't important because God sees the heart. But just, just pray out something like this. Say, Father, I confess. I confess that I'm, I'm a sinner. I confess that sin isn't something I do, that it's, that it's who I am, that I cannot fix what is broken inside of me and what is broken between me and you, God. So right now, the best way that I know how I just wanna, I wanna turn from my sin and I wanna turn to Jesus and I wanna ask Jesus to, to forgive me of my sins, to, to cover me, Jesus, in your, in your blood and to reconcile me to God the Father. You just pray that prayer right now if that's you, in your own words. Let me just encourage you, if you just prayed that prayer, your next step before you leave is to tell somebody. I don't care if you mark it on the connection card and drop it in the wooden boxes on your way out or if you come up and, and, and just talk to some of the prayer partners. I'm gonna be down here at the end of the service or se several other prayer partners that will be down here. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, but we wanna walk with you through this process. Listen, the good news is only good if you receive it in time. 
It's only good news if you receive it in time. So embrace Jesus today. Father, thank you that at the right time, while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, while we were still your enemies, you came after us, God, and you made a way for each and every person to be reconciled to you and have peace with you through Jesus, God. Father, help us not try to fix what is broken inside of us. Help us not try to fix the conflict between you and us by, by fixing ourselves or by trying to have others fix us or by trying to perform our way into your love or earn your love. God, help us to trust in Jesus and rest in his finished work on the cross and the empty tomb on our behalf so that we could experience this abundant life that you've promised to give us on this planet and also in eternity with you forever, God. And we pray all of these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.